Merry Christmas, everybody. We're really honored to be sharing this very special day with you. Our theme this Christmas season has been Come to Worship, and it comes right out of the Christmas story in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 2. It says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Some of you have come from great distances to be here tonight through many obstacles, and we have come today to worship. Now, for some of you, that word worship might seem like a heavy word. Uh, some of you are thinking, I don't think of myself as a super religious person. I have come to visit relatives. I have come to sing Christmas carols. Uh, I have come to keep my mom happy. Uh, I, have, I have come just because I, I love Christmas. And tonight, I want to explain why worship is a natural and necessary human trait and why Christmas is the ideal time to become a worshiper. Everybody worships some way, somehow, and if you lean into this, you tap into something innate and life-giving. And I want to kind of set up our night by talking a bit about music and singing, because we're going to do a fair amount of that together uh, today. I don't know if you ever thought about this, but why do people sing? Singing is not a very efficient way to communicate information. There are better ways to do that. And if you think about it as a culture, we don't have many opportunities other than church where people come together and sing. Uh, I was thinking about this. Uh, the only one I can really think of is take me out to the ball game. Uh, that's kind of a cultural uh, phenomenon. And the ironic thing about the song, Take Me Out to the Ball Game, is where are people when they sing that song? They're at a ball game. Uh, the only time we sing, Take Me Out to the Ball Game, is when we're already at a ball game, and even then we don't sing it until the seventh inning. <laughs> but, it, but it binds us together. Music binds us together. And when it comes to music, it's a part of every culture and every civilization. It's not very efficient but it's a deep part of what it means to be human. As long as there have been mothers and babies, there have been lullabies. As long as people have fallen in love, there have been love songs. As long as the human heart is capable of joy, we need to sing. We need to dance. And sometimes people uh, sing when they're in difficult moments where they need courage. The Bible has a story about two guys named Paul and Silas who are arrested because of their faith, and they're beaten up, and they're thrown into prison. And it says at midnight, they begin to pray and sing hymns. I mean, who, who does that? That's the power of music. When we're happy, we sing. When we're desperate, we sing. Jesus sang. On the very last night of Jesus' earthly life, he gathers with his followers, and he knows he's heading to his execution. And we read that when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Music does something that nothing else can, and music has always been associated with Christmas. So take a moment right now and turn to someone next to you and tell them your favorite Christmas song. Go ahead and tell somebody your favorite Christmas song. There are so many to choose from.
<laughs> All right. All right, great. You get a lot to choose from. And uh, listen, tonight, tonight we're going to we're going to sing together a lot of your favorite songs. Unless you said Santa Baby, and that's not on the uh, program. Uh, this connection between Christmas and music goes all the way back to the very first Christmas. Christmas has a way of creating music. When Jesus was born in Israel, there was a custom at this time and place. You know, there was a high infant mortality rate. And so when a baby was born and it was safe and it was the right gender, music would be played. Anybody want to guess what the right gender was? A boy in that time and place. When a boy was born safely, musicians who were waiting outside would burst into music. If it was a girl, no music. Really, the musicians would just go home. And part of what Jesus came to set right in our world, in part, is the way that the culture looks at little girls. Now, with Jesus, he was far from home on this night. His family was from Nazareth in the north, and they found themselves in Bethlehem in the south. There were no immediate relatives. There were no musicians available. And so God had to figure out another way to have music at Christmas. And he did. There were some shepherds keeping watch over their flock, and God sent angels to give them the news that a baby has been born. The Savior has been born. And you will find this baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. Now, the information has been conveyed, but that's not where the story ends. It goes on in Luke chapter 2. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying or singing, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Now, why did they do that? The news had already been communicated and received. The information's been given. They do this for a very simple reason. The universe is not designed for efficiency. It is designed for wonder. And at some point, we know this deep within our hearts. The universe catches us off guard, and we know that worship is the only sane response to the mystery of existence. Worship restores us to sanity. In worship, I, I see how big God is, and I ascribe gratefulness and joy for the goodness and greatness and wonder and majesty of the one who created it all. And the cry to do this runs throughout human literature, and it's in the Bible too. The psalmist says, glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name to together. And this is way more than just about music, and it's about way more than church services. When you worship, you swim in the tide of the universe because the universe was created to express great wonder and joy. In our saner moments, we know this. This is what poets write about. Even the poets in the Bible, like Job 38, where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. I would love to have been there for that when all of the stars sang. Friends, we have come today 
to worship. We have come to join our voices with the angels and indeed with all of creation to sing glory to the newborn king. So let us now stand together and do just that. feel like you want to clap. Yeah. I felt your hesitation. Church people. It's hard to know the right thing to do. That's why we're talking about worship. Hey, in January, we started a brand new series. We're getting back to the Sermon on the Mount, and we're in this section where Jesus is going to be talking about relationships and anger and sex 
and breakups, and it's all in the month of January. I want to invite you back to discover the practical teaching of Jesus from the most famous sermon ever given, the Sermon on the Mount. But this last month, our congregation has been studying worship, and that's the theme of tonight, Come to Worship. And worship, of course, is way more than just music, way more than just singing. The wise men bowed their knees in worship. The wise men presented gifts as an act of worship. We don't know, actually, if the wise men sang. It doesn't say. They don't seem like natural singers. But again, wonder pulls that out of us. Worship in the Bible tended to involve lots of physical movement. We've been learning. The body is involved. And you see this throughout the Bible. Here's some examples. Judges chapter 13 talks about a person named Manoah and his wife in worship fell with their faces to the ground. You might try that sometime especially if you're in the presence of medical professionals, because that one sounds kind of painful. Here's another one, 2 Samuel uh, 6.14 says, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. You might want to try that sometime. You know, generally you start that in private, of course, and then kind of bring that out into a public showing, but if you want to dance, uh, no, one will, no one will stop you. Uh, the psalmist says, clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with cries of joy. Sometimes worship shouts. That's one of the postures of worship. Uh, Daniel 6, we read that three times a day, Daniel got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. And another psalmist says, let his faithful people rejoice in his honor and sing for joy on their beds. Now, some of you have been looking for, you know, biblical justification for staying in bed on Sunday morning, and here it is. You can sing for joy on your bed, and that's not at all what that, what that means. People in the Bible use their bodies and their wills and their emotions to worship God with everything they've got because God has wired you and me in such a way that what we do with our bodies actually influences our minds. William James, a famous psychologist from 100 years ago, said, I don't sing because I'm happy, I'm happy because I sing. And our posture can lead us, and I want to suggest three postures for the new year, three worship postures, worship commitments for the new year. And the first one is this, to say, I will worship God with a humble heart, with a humble heart. And the posture to remind us of humility is to get down on your knees. I might need help getting up. To get that on your knees, maybe in the morning, when I'm on my knees, I'm not running anywhere. When I'm on my knees, I have no power. I am surrendered to God. In our culture, we always feel like we need to get higher and higher, and we are so misled on this. Look at the way Mary responded to the news of Christmas when the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary's response was not to say, yes, that's me, highly favored. I was pretty, I pray I knew he was going to choose me for this tough assignment. Mary responds with humility and says, why me? I don't deserve to have the Son of God come to me. And sometimes pride can sneak into us in the oddest of ways, and even among church people, we can become proud about anything. So this year we commit to worship God with a humble heart. And we'll remember that by kneeling. That's the posture. Secondly, we can say, I will worship God with a willing spirit. 
a willing spirit. You can offer God your will at any time. And a great posture to think about this is to hold your hands with your palms up like this. Everyone try this. This is the posture of a willing spirit. Uh, Not this. (laughs) This is how we usually come to God. Give me, give me, give me. And not this. I'm clutching everything to myself, but this. A willing spirit to live surrendered before God. Sometimes you receive a gift that you're not sure you want because of what the gift might say about you. I have a friend my age who told me that on Christmas morning, he opened a gift from his children and his wife, and they had given him a very nice, brand-new nose hair trimmer. (laughs) He kind of had mixed feelings about that. It was very nice, very expensive, but he wondered, why would my kids give me a nose hair trimmer? And I said, I know why your kids gave you... Sometimes we don't want to receive a gift because of what it might say about us. But do you know what God gave you at Christmas? A Savior. The opportunity to be saved from your sins. What does that say about you and about me? It says, I need somebody to pull me out of the pit. I need somebody to rescue me from my own folly. I need somebody to save me. And Christmas is a great time to say, God, I confess my sin. I need your gift. I'm not going to go through life clutching or grabbing. I'm going to live my life surrendered as a willing spirit. That's the posture to remember that. And a third possibility to say, I will worship God in eager hope. And the posture for this is is like this with your hands extended. Everybody try this one. This is kind of future-oriented, eager hope for the future. Some people think that worship is only when you're in good circumstances, that worship is just for happy people, not for sick people or poor people or abandoned people or jobless people, but everybody can worship in any circumstance. Worship is for you to think about the fact that there is a good and loving God, and this God is watching over our world and this God is watching over you. And it might be in those most difficult circumstances that we need to worship the most. There was a man in the Bible named John and when he was young he got to hang out with Jesus and the disciples and the point of the story now, he's an old man, he's in prison on an island, isolated from everybody that he loves, he's going to die alone and he looks forward with eager expectation, he writes this in the book of Revelation. After I looked, he's looking into the future, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. He is not alone. From every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. What boggles the mind of heaven is that our God saves. Our God, who created this world that's so wonderful and so broken, our God is going to redeem the world and set things right and end all injustice and dry every tear. Salvation belongs to our God. There's this amazing victory that awaits us, and Christmas reminds us of that. I want to give you a picture of joy unleashed. 
Earlier this year, the Washington Nationals won the World Series, and it was their first World Series title uh, in the history of their organization, 50 years. And what made it especially fun is that the Nationals started out their season so horribly. Uh, at the end of May, they were 1931, and then they had an amazing run of wins, and against all odds, ended up in the playoffs, and then in the World Series, and took the series in the seventh game. And when they won... An explosion of celebration on the field. The team jumped up in the air and they high-fived and they fell to their knees and they hugged each other. Grown men singing, dancing, hugging, and making absolute fools of themselves. Fans going crazy with celebration. Work stops. Life shuts down for a few days. People call in sick for joy. I need a day off for joy. Now I know that you know, we have a lot of church people here, and we don't do that kind of thing. We, we do things decent and in order, and that was the World Series. We're not talking about the World Series. We're talking about church. We don't, we don't jump or applaud or dance. But since the God of all creation has come down to earth in the person of Jesus Christ and was born in a manger and died on a cross and was raised from a tomb and our sin is forgiven and our guilt is wiped away and the Holy Spirit lives inside of us and we get the church as our family and God as our father and Jesus as our savior and brother and friend and heaven as our eternal home that maybe every once in a while we ought to at least go like this. If anybody wants to say amen, this would be a good time to say something like that here. Yeah. At Christmas, all of heaven erupted with joy. Angels sang. Wise men fell to their knees. All of creation applauded. God is worthy to be worshipped with everything we've got. And we have seen his star. And we have come to worship him. Would you stand to your feet? God, we thank you for the good news of great joy proclaimed long ago. A Savior has come joy to the world God we respond now with worship we have come to worship and you are worthy of our devotion you are worthy of awe you are worthy of all that we have fill us with expectation and hope and joy and this we pray in the name of the Christmas child this we pray in Jesus name and everybody gathered said 